0: This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded.
1: I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles and no copays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com slash star. Every year,
2: Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement.
3: Talk Radio 1210. WPHD WPHD HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie.
4: Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. But our message tonight is that for women, your cancer prevention care is more than just a mammogram. Despite the common misconception colorectal cancer is a man's disease, the lifetime risk is about equal in men and women, and colorectal cancer can present differently in men and women. Screenings for all cancers are important. So joining us this evening are two physicians from the Albert Medical School of Brown University. Dr. Jane Sharp, Clinical Assistant Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and a partner in the Center for Obstetrics and Gynecology, in the Division of Southern New England's Women's Health. Later we'll hear from Dr. Samir Shah, President of the American College of Gastroenterology. Welcome Jane, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Jane, you have a very busy general OBGYN practice and we know that many women consider their OBGYN doctor to be their primary care doc. That ends up meaning that screening recommendations for all cancers fall on you. In general, how likely are your patients willing to comply with screening for breast and cervical cancer?
5: In general, my patients are very motivated uh, to stay up with their screenings for both of those cancers.
4: Mm -hmm. And how does that compare to a discussion
5: about colorectal cancer screening? Um, So luckily, I, i love to take time to explain screenings and why they're important and what the, the goals are. Um, so most women are open to it, but more hesitant uh, to do colorectal screening versus mammograms and pap smears. Why do you think that's the case? <laughs> Well, I think sometimes, as you said, there's a misconception that colon cancer just isn't that common, or it's more of a man's disease, or why do I need to be screened for that? Uh, And part of it is it uh, takes a little bit more effort to be screened for colon cancer versus mammogram or pap smear.
4: And more effort, meaning the bowel prep is yucky, and and you're sedated,
5: so it's time yeah, out of work. Yeah, exactly. So it's a little more of a time commitment, a little bit more effort where you have to you know change your diet for a few days and do the bowel prep and everything versus just come and have a quick visit for a mm-hmm. pap smear.
4: Do you think it's because historically there were fewer women in gastroenterology? So women, I, it's kind of interesting because through all of history, women were willing to go to a man for their gynecology care, but they hesitate to go to a man for their colonoscopy.
5: For me, I haven't noticed that much of a difference. Most also, we have a plethora of excellent female gastroenterologists in my area uh, and female colorectal surgeons in my area. So that's not been an issue for my patients. Again, I think a lot of the hesitancies, I hear, oh, the bowel prep is horrible. Oh, I hear the procedure is horrible. So I do a lot to dispel those myths. um, And I let them know what the bowel prep entails. I let them know tips and tricks. Um, it's really not that bad. And the procedure itself is like the best nap of your life. Um, and then you go home and eat whatever you want. Sure. And I think too, um,
4: again, I'm a GI doctor, but what I emphasize with all my patients is the screening age as of May of uh 2021 dropped to 45 because we are seeing a significant rise in numbers of cases below age 50. So now we're saying get screened. Yeah. If everyone gets screened at 45 or younger. If you have a family history, not just of colorectal cancer, but colon polyps, that also bumps your risk. And I would agree with you that a lot of patients aren't aware of this information, but a lot of doctors aren't either. No. That it's not just cancer, it's colon polyps. Sorry.
5: Yeah, and also that you know uh, the, the colonoscopy is not just you know diagnostic; it can be you know preventive in, in a way. Um, so I think once you explain it, patients are much more open to it. So I'm glad that you're making this the topic of your radio show.
4: Well, and as you say too, it's preventive. We're looking mm-hmm. for precancer. Other screening tests, and I always remind my patients that screening is a test that we do in people who don't have any symptoms. Once you have symptoms which is something you feel like belly pain or or weight loss, or something you see like blood on the paper or change of bowel habits, their diagnostic test screening is we want to stay ahead of the game. And a mammogram usually picks up early cancer. Pap smear picks up early cancer, sometimes pre-cancer, but the beauty of colonoscopy, we go on
5: Find precancer and remove it, and your slate is clear, like you've started exactly, fresh. Exactly, exactly. So when I explain it to patients, I think they're much more mm-hmm. excited to go through the colonoscopy, um, so that they could have the precancerous lesions removed to prevent cancer.
4: Mm-hmm. And the other thing we're going to spend a little more time in the next segment is that um, the risks for colorectal cancer are somewhat related to risk for ovarian and uterine. So when we see a woman who's under age 40 with colon cancer, I'm saying colon, the proper term is colorectal, but for brevity's sake, we'll say colon for the rest of our discussion. Under age 40, colon cancer, definitely there's a rise in risk for ovarian and uterine cancer. And the reverse is true. If a woman has uterine cancer before age 50, or ovarian cage, especially before age 50, but all the way to age
5: 65, it bumps her risk for colon cancer. Yes? Mm-hmm. And, um, and forgive me, I don't know as much how much it's just uh, the risk factors for both cancers are the same versus genetically linked. But either way, we need to pay closer attention to those women and screen them more thoroughly. Exactly. So the big picture is, whether it's
4: gray hair, uh, you're more likely to have gallstones. They might not be cause and effect, but we do know that there are genetic syndromes, but the majority, at least with colon cancer, the number one risk factor is age. So as we get older, our risk goes up and uh, probably over 80% of colon cancer cases are age related and without a family history. I know that um, gynecologists and GI doctors work together. How could we partner um, on a national level, do you think? To remind our patients that colorectal cancer, which is the number two cause of cancer death, that's the other thing I always drive home with women. More people die of colorectal cancer than breast cancer, but it's not a contest. They're all important.
5: (laughs) Right? Um, Yeah. So I think, you know, right now, breast cancer has done an amazing job of educating women about getting out there, uh, not having it be something you whisper about and you know, behind closed doors. It's really front and center and empowering women to um, uh, take care of their own health. And I think we need to do the same thing with colorectal cancer screening uh, and make it common, make it a, a normative thing for our patients to do. It's just expected. Most of my patients know when they turn 40 or 45, they're going to be getting mammograms. Almost none of them know when they turn 45, they'll be getting colorectal cancer uh, screening as well. So I think we can do that. And maybe when we have these incredible breast cancer drives, we can also have information about colorectal uh, screening. Exactly. Because if
4: somebody's motivated enough to go for the the one cancer screening, maybe they're 1% more likely to be convinced to get the colorectal cancer screening. And I think you hit a very important nail on the head. People whisper about breast cancer and people are more openly expressive about saying the word breast or breast cancer. And I think it wasn't ladylike to talk about bowel habits, et cetera, but we got to get rid of that. It's science. It's, It's probably not party talk or table talk, but we're talking about saving your life. And yes, the prep is annoying as heck, but it beats the heck out of surgery, chemo, and radiation. And we're seeing a rise that we start to say, people under 50, even under 40 with colon cancer. And African-American patients were, were concerned about targeting the underserved. African-Americans are 20% more likely to be diagnosed with colon cancer and 40% more likely to die from it. So we really have to encourage mm. all people, but um, keep those uh, thoughts in mind. We have about a minute left, Jane. How about um, hormones that are used to control menstrual cycles? or for birth control, or menopause, do they
5: increase risks for cancers? Uh, On the whole, not really. There's slight uh, variations, um, uh, which um, uh, are more complex discussion than we have time for right now. Um, But like, for instance, hormone therapy for menopausal symptoms, the increased risk of breast cancer associated with that is only 7 per 10,000 women per year. It's really negligible. And um, like everything, we need to take into account each individual woman's Needs, values, and risks, um, but on the whole, not much of an influence with cancers. Perfect answer, because people
4: ask that, and we want them to be aware that they're going to have the discussion with you. Does the benefit outweigh the risk? Um, Excuse me, because um, it it does not influence the risk for colorectal cancer. Um, But I think we're able to achieve all those goals of regulating cycles, et cetera which much with money with much lower doses of estrogen than we used to and that's what makes it safer absolutely dr jane sharp thank you so much for joining us and i'd love to have you back for further discussion about so many topics we we barely scratched the surface it would
5: be my pleasure it's a joy to be here thank you very much Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net.
1: I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no copays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star.
2: Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid
6: endorsement. When we
4: Welcome back to your radio, doctor. I am very pleased to introduce a very special guest, Dr. Samir Shah, clinical professor of medicine from the Albert Medical School of Brown University, chief of gastroenterology at the Miriam Hospital, beautiful hospital, and he's the president of our National GI Society, the American College of Gastroenterology, which makes him the Elvis of the GI world. Welcome, Elvis.
7: Well, thank you. I I couldn't ask for a nicer introduction, uh, uh, Dr. Ritchie. And you Um, know my love for music, so that really resonates. So I'm so happy to be part of this.
4: We are going to make you sing before this is over.
7: Oh, no. Samir,
4: uh, I just had a great conversation with your colleague, Dr. Jane Sharp. And we talked about uh, several things that we have the opportunity uh, to dive into with a little more detail. When we talk about colorectal cancer, which is our baby, we're both GI docs, how do numbers of cases compare in men versus women
7: yeah there that's a great question because there's a myth that that this is a men's cancer and not a women's cancer and Clearly, it affects both uh, men and women almost evenly. It, it varies by age. So uh, you know, at a younger age, under 45, it's the same. Mm-hmm. For older patients, there's a slight predominance towards men, but not that much. And so um, it's really important that uh, both men and women be screened for colon cancer. And, and the great thing, as you know, is this is the one major cancer that we can actually prevent. We don't have to wait till the cancer happens. We can wait till the, the cancer is gone. So I mean, excuse me. Sorry, I get. No, that's okay. Call. It's called real so, life.
5: <laughs> so sorry,
7: yeah. So, so I was saying is, is rather than waiting till the cancer develops by finding polyps and removing polyps, we can prevent the cancer from ever happening. And uh, you know, when we talk about colorectal cancer, you know, cancer in the colon or in the rectum, rectal cancer is more common in men compared to women. And women, as you well know, have more right-sided colon cancers, more on the on the on the right side of the colon compared to the left side of the colon mm-hmm. or rectum.
4: Mm-hmm. So while we're on that subject, because we I had that later uh, in discussion, but for our listeners, when we talk about, we used to say colon cancer, now we say colorectal, because if anybody looks at an anatomical diagram, the loopy part of the large intestine is the colon and the very straight part at the very end, right the last area where uh, before your waist exits into the world they behave differently. Cancer in that last straight part can behave differently than cancer in the rest of the colon, meaning it, it can invade other parts of the pelvis. Anyway, um, so colorectal cancer is the term we use. Maybe for our discussion, we'll say colon just because it's easier to, <laughs> uh, In our, we're covering a lot here. Um, but that said, men are more likely to get rectal cancer Women's cancers occur more often at the tippy top of the colon, what you and I call the right side of the colon. And that said, so we want to get women interested in having colonoscopy because we want to have a really good prep to see, well, women are more likely to have polyps and cancer in the top of the colon. Women are more likely to have their gallbladders out because pregnancy and all those things that bump the risk for gallstones. And if you've had your gallbladder out, you're more likely to have polyps and cancer in the top of the colon. And we know African Americans are more likely to have right-sided colon uh, cancer and lesions. And women are more likely to have that serrated polyp. Tell us about serrated polyps, the more nasty Uh, ones.
7: Absolutely. You outlined that very nicely. And and these uh, serrated polyps are these flat polyps that are very difficult to detect. And We've gotten much better over time. We've realized how important it is to have a very good prep and to take our time and look very carefully for these flat polyps. They're t- they tend to be more aggressive as well. So the consequences of missing them are, are even more. And so we spend a lot of time with our patients telling them about the importance of the prep. And then when we do our colonoscopies, we're looking, and and uh, most of my colleagues, I included, kind of do a double look. So we get all the way around the colon, the cecum, uh, and the small intestine, where the small intestine joins the, the colon. And then we come back to the middle, to the transverse colon, and we go back and call that a second look. And that helps us find these subtle flat polyps if we didn't see them the first time around.
4: So it's kind of like a slinky. When, when you look at a diagram, and how many people open up an anatomy book and look at the colon? But you see um, it looks, I, I can't think of uh, what else to compare to uh, than a slinky. But uh, uh,
7: Upside down, as you, as you say, when we I look in, too. but it's it Pardon? There. An upside down U, but I I, I mm-hmm. like the slinky analogy when, because it's it's twisty. Oh
4: yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. And but but as you make the point, it looks different on our as we travel in versus on the way out, and it is a luxury mm-hmm. to have a second look because a polyp might be hiding behind a fold or or if there's fluid, um, we can clear that and really get a good look, knowing Absolutely. that. This misconception has existed that um, it's a man's disease. Why do you think um, that's the case? Or or what do you think uh, women uh, are less likely to get screened? Why do you think that is?
7: I think there's several reasons. One is... Um you know, when women see their OBGYN, they might concentrate on uh, some of the, the traditional cancers that that, that uh, um, uh, are associated with women, specifically breast cancer and cervical cancer. And so um, the patient may bring up or their doctor may bring up, hey, it's time for a mammogram. It's time for your pap smear. Uh, by the way, did you get vaccinated against HPV? But um, the the colon cancer may get left out or be left to their internist. Uh, but a lot of times, uh, um, women are using their OBGYN as their primary care provider as well as their, their gynecologist obstetrician. So it's important mm-hmm. for that to be discussed. Um, and then it's just easier uh, in terms of getting a mammogram. There's no real preparation. Pap smear can happen right when they're in the office. Um, for the colonoscopy to happen, uh, the patient has to be referred to uh, a qualified person, usually a gastroenterologist who's trained in in doing the colonoscopy and the patient has to take a prep, which is no fun. But uh, my patients used to say, you haven't been through it. I said, well, actually I have now. So uh, since I'm over 50 and it's not so bad and, and uh, to, to get through, and uh, um, then the procedure itself is, is really nothing. Uh, there's sedation, and so you're comfortable, and the procedure itself takes about uh, 30 minutes or so, um, and then, you know, you, you take the uh, afternoon off, and, and next day you're back to, to normal activity. Um, I think uh, um, going for the prep and being worried about sedation and all all, all that uh, uh, are potential barriers. And sometimes patients choose uh, non-invasive options, which are better than than no screening at all. But you and I know the best test is uh, colonoscopy because we can see polyps uh, and they they don't have symptoms. If we wait for symptoms, it's often late. Compared to doing nothing, though, one of the non-invasive tests, one of the stool tests, which detects blood or, or DNA, um, you know, can be a, a trigger. Uh, it's important if that test is positive, the patient actually follows through for the colonoscopy That.
4: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned so many interesting points, Samir, because we know that women go to doctor visits more often than men do, but they lag in the colorectal cancer screening. And as you and Jane both said, they've already taken time for the mammogram and their pap smears, And they're just easier to complete. Um, The pink campaigns have been fantastic in driving women to mammography. But I wonder if that's part of the reason that the emphasis being there, that the mindset is mammograms for women, colon for men, and we don't like to talk about bowel movements and stuff anyway, so let's let that just be a man's problem. But they might also be embarrassed. Or for women that have a history of abuse, I would think that's a smaller number, but but they find it hard to – you know, talk about or, or have those kinds of exams. But I think the repeat message is obviously all cancer screenings are important, but more people die. When we consider men and women together, more people die from colorectal cancer than breast cancer. But we see pink football helmets, pink baseball, sneakers, pink M&Ms, pink candles, pink ribbons. We have to get that blue message out the colorectal cancer color um, and get that sense of urgency out because, we, you know, as you and I know, there has been a, a significant rise in numbers of cases in younger people and in African-Americans who get it at a younger age and a more aggressive. So screening, you already said, it's in a person that has no symptoms. We're going to go in and grab that precancer and give the person a clean start. Why has the screening uh, age been dropped to age 45?
7: Mm-hmm. So what's been alarming, although we've seen a decrease in colon cancer in people over 50, we've seen an increase in colon cancer in people under 45. And it's not clear why we think it could be due to the environment with obesity, with processed foods uh, and, and other factors, uh, smoking at a young age, smoking was going down, but starting to come back up. Um, so there, there are a number of factors like that, but it's estimated that if you're born around 1990, you have about twice the risk of colon cancer and four times the risk of rectal cancer than those born. Born around 1950 so that not ignoring symptoms. So uh, you and I see this a lot where patients have rectal bleeding and they ignore it. They think it's hemorrhoids or nothing important. And then by the time they present, the cancer's already spread. And so it's so important for people under the age of 45 to not ignore symptoms and to start screening at age 45 now. Uh, the more recent uh, studies have suggested that we're seeing rates of polyps and colon cancer, uh, the same that we did back when colonoscopy was approved for people 50 and older now in, in the 45 age group and older. So it may Makes sense to drop that screening age.
4: Mm -hmm. And so everybody needs to hear that the latest you should begin colorectal cancer screening is 45. Not, oh, 45 is nice, but I can wait till 50. No, we want people to start at age 45. Um, What determines family history? Because we know the greatest risk factor is age. Just as you say, are we exposed to processed meats? Is it obesity? All the things we talk about that are in our control. But what's not in our control is family history. What do you advise your patients about family history? What details do you ask them or look for? So
7: what I tell patients and our referring doctors is you need to take a detailed history of family family history of colon cancer. So we want to look at first degree relatives. We've realized that secondary relatives don't count uh, in terms of increasing risk. They do count if you're looking for cancer syndromes. We can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. In terms of first degree relatives, we're talking about parents and siblings and children. Mm-hmm. And if you and the age is important and it's not only colon cancer but they if they have certain types of polyps, especially advanced polyps. And and the magic age is 60. So, under 60, then you start uh, screening uh, at age 40 or 10 years younger than the earliest diagnosis. So, for example, if you have a brother with colon cancer or a sister with colon cancer at age 50, you should start at age 40 at the latest and then every five years at least, um, even if you don't find anything. On the other hand, let's say your mother had colon cancer in her 80s, you should still start at age 40. But then if you don't find anything you can go to every 10 years mm-hmm. so the distinction is if you're under age 60 in your in your family history um, uh, the, the family member that had colon cancer you keep it at every five years but if they're older than 60 then you can uh, if you don't find anything on the first exam you can go to 10 years mm-hmm. and the same thing applies to a family history of polyps and it's important to know the histology of the polyps so yes. that hyperplastic polyps don't count and unfortunately a lot of the times patients will say oh uh, so you know my family member had polyps but I don't know the histology and so it's so important to talk about this and, and increase awareness and just know your family's history and know your own risks so you can be appropriately screened.
4: And I think you've hit on so many important points. The average person will say, yeah, my brother had polyps, but they were fine. No, that that may count and may determine uh, a recommendation that, that you start at a younger age. And as you also say, uh, first degree relatives are those people right around you a parent a sibling a child and people think child meaning a young child but if a person is 70 and their child's 45 or 50 that means you better step up and your your risk is increased um so people also need to know that the polyps and i see when i review medical records uh that the doctors are not always emphasizing that polyps are a very important part of the history as well. Colon cancer, colon polyps, and we'll talk a little bit later that women are an increase for colorectal cancer if they've had uterine or, or ovarian cancer themselves. Um, so let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Samir Shah.
0: Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand.
5: Hi, I'm Rithika Kumar from Independence Blue Cross. As a parent, I know our greatest hope in life is to protect our children. As a physician, I know that the best way to protect our children and boost their immunity is to get them vaccinated against COVID-19. With schools back in session, it's important to stay up to date on their vaccines. The COVID-19 vaccines are approved for children six months and older. Vaccination, it's the very best way to love and protect them.
6: Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. That's RothmanOrtho.com. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like when it comes to diseases, can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at Gene.com/slash ask bigger questions. Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at
3: five, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross.
0: This program is paid for by your Radio Doctor, LLC.
4: And welcome back to your Radio Doctor. Our guest this evening is Dr. Samir Shah the president of the American College of Gastroenterology. Samir, we've been talking about the message we want to drive home to women especially, that colorectal cancer is pretty much equal in men and women. And yes, maybe there's a protective effect from estrogen with age because women seem to light up with colon cancer at a later age, but we probably live longer. So in the end, it's equal and it's important for everybody to get screened, especially since we can prevent it. Um We talked a little bit about family history and that colon polyps or we wanted to talk a little bit more about that because it's it's hard to get people to open up about their bowel habits, etc. But maybe you're together for Thanksgiving or some family occasion and say, how did grandmother die or how did Uncle Harry or right? Isn't that an opportunity to start the discussion?
7: Absolutely. And, you know, if you're, you know, in that age range of 45 to 75, you can say, have you had your colonoscopy? Have you had your colon cancer screening? Have you had your mammogram? It's so important because we know it's so preventable. Um, You know, Katie Couric did a great thing many years ago when, unfortunately, her husband had colon cancer, but she publicized it and took Mm -hmm. the shame away from going for colonoscopy. And now she's doing the same for for breast cancer. Um, The the third leading cause of uh, cancer in the United States, men and women combined, is colon cancer. Second leading cause of death, as you mentioned. The lifetime risk for women is 1 in 20, 25 uh, developing colon cancer in men and 1 in 23, so almost the same. And this year, it's estimated 150,000 people will be diagnosed with colon cancer and 50,000 deaths. And you and I both know that each time we see somebody with colon cancer or, or die from it, it was it was preventable if we had had them come for screening at the appropriate time. The polyp history is also so important. Um, if, if you've had a first-degree family member, a parent, a brother with polyps uh, under the age of 60, it's important that you get screened at, um, at 40, and then, depending on what you find after that, uh, um, the right interval.
4: You bring up two very important points. I have a whole collection. I keep a separate little notebook of my patients under age 33. That's the oldest of my young, young people mm-hmm. that have adenomas. There are two types mm-hmm. of polyps. You mentioned hyperplastic. That's kind of like having a callus on your heel. It's a it's a little cluster of tissue, but it doesn't have much significance unless you have like over 30 in your whole colon, but it, too much detail. But an adenoma, if your doctor tells you, mentions the word adenoma, that is cancer that hasn't happened yet. Not all colon polyps become cancer, but pretty much all colon cancer starts as a polyp. So no polyp is our friend. And the other point that you make, let's put this into perspective. I, when I start a lecture, I never say, well, 150,000 people this year will get blah, 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 because the listeners think, well, there are how many million, 330 plus million people in the country. I'm not going to be one of those 150,000. But if you look at it this way, look at your book club, look at their gym class, look at your office or your neighborhood, one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer. That's a lot. That's scary. One in 3 people over 50 they used to say. One in 2 people over 60 will get colon polyps. Again, it's not a contest, but we got to chase after those nasty polyps because it's definitely better than surgery or chemo or radiation. So just hold your nose, drink the go, get a nice sleep and enjoy those delicious graham crackers when you're finished.
1: Absolutely.
4: But, um, you know what I mean? When you put it into that context to say, and say, and I was reading a, a, an article the other day that they're, they're pushing not just one in three people over 50, but one in two people over 50 get polyps. So somewhere in that neighborhood, yeah. it's common, it's preventable, often deadly, let's do it. How about um, if we revisit our conversation about the interrelated risks of colorectal cancer with ovarian and uterine. Let's talk about some of those yeah, details.
7: Yeah, those are great mm-hmm. points. And it's really important that women be aware that, that if they have ovarian cancer or uterine cancer, the risk of colon cancer goes up and they need to be followed very closely. And then we need to also consider Lynch syndrome, which is a syndrome where um, the DNA repair mechanisms is messed up. So it's kind of like the proofreading function, the, the spell check, if you will, of the uh, DNA is messed up. And and patients who have Lynch syndrome uh, will be more likely to get certain cancers including colon cancer breast cancer ovarian cancer uterine cancer and and so it's important to look for that Lynch syndrome probably accounts for five to ten percent of all colon cancers and we probably underdiagnose it and so that awareness to say hey wait a minute um, i have this cancer and somebody else in my family has this other cancer should we be tested for Lynch syndrome
4: true and i think as you say Lynch syndrome for our listeners if a, if um uh, a family member is diagnosed with colon cancer at a young age and they have this particular issue lynch syndrome they're at risk for uterine cancer ovarian cancer stomach cancer other cancer so it's vitally important but not everybody not every woman who has colon with the increased risk of ovarian uterine or the reverse if you have ovarian the way up to age 65 your colon cancer risk increases a lot of them are not um there's no label or there's no defined genetic syndrome. It's just like BRCA. People say, oh my gosh, my mom or my relo- my sister was just diagnosed with, let's all get tested for BRCA. That counts for maybe 2% of all breast cancers. But your family history still is important. In my own family, it breaks my heart. My mother died of breast cancer, as did my mother-in-law, not a blood yeah. relative, but my mother died of breast. My identical twin sisters both had breasts within to date, with a few days of each other. One is no longer finished. with us. And my niece just had a bilateral mastectomy at age 45. So it's there, but there's no BRCA. But my our doctors, our recommendations are based on that family tree, that picture. So learn as much as you can. It could save your life, right? Absolutely. And I think the other thing we were talking about is that women who smoke, tell us about that risk,
7: yeah. So people, you know, only equate smoking with lung cancer but there's and, and, and cardiovascular risk. But smoking, especially early on, significantly increases the risk of colon cancer, uh, stomach cancer, pancreatic cancer. So it has a lot of deleterious effects. So if we can get our patients to quit smoking at any age, that's helpful. But when we're meeting with our patients and they have a history of smoking at a younger age, we need to keep that into account when we're thinking about uh, screening for various cancers, including colon cancer. And mm-hmm. it's important then to hopefully uh, uh, help them with their children and other family members to never smoke if possible and quit smoking if they're smoking.
4: Mm-hmm. And secondhand smoke bumps your risk for lung cancer as well. That's what I think people need to hear as well. But what really just raised my eyebrow when I saw this a few years ago was women who smoke, their colon cancer appears at an earlier age. So the onset or the diagnosis of colon cancer and death from colon cancer happen earlier in women who smoke than men who smoke. Because as you say, certain things are out of our control. You can't choose your relatives. Your genetics are there. They come with the package, but you can control smoking and other habits like alcohol intake. Let's talk a little bit about alcohol and, and the big the big enemy is obesity too.
7: Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, uh, a drink now and then do- doesn't increase the risk, but daily alcohol does increase the risk of a variety of things, including colon cancer mm-hmm. and uh, obesity. Uh, a diet that's high in red meat, uh, a sedentary lifestyle, uh, sitting on a chair all day, playing computer games or watching TV, and not being out there exercising, um, increases the risk of colon cancer. So, if we it's a lot of patients say, "Well, what can I do?" You know, short of you know going for the colonoscopy, I'm going to come for my colonoscopy, but what things can I do? I'd say don't smoke, exercise, don't be sedentary, uh, limit your alcohol intake, and have a high-fiber diet with plenty of fruits and vegetables, and avoid processed foods. Now, we need more data on that, but things that have a long shelf life, we think, uh, probably contribute to a a not-so-good microbiome and may increase colon cancer risk.
4: Mm -hmm. And thanks to you, one of our colleagues, Dr. Neil Stallman, we recorded a show recently on the microbiome, so we'll be airing that in a few weeks. But all of these things, it's just the old common sense kind of profile. Be careful of your uh, intake of calories. You're not, uh, the Richie rule is you can enjoy cigarettes if they're made of chocolate or bubble gum, but <laughs> we don't want you to smoke them. And that goes with, you know, we did a whole show on vaping. You're still inhaling cancer-causing agents. They may not be the same as a paper cigarette, but back to... Um, I just thought that was remarkable to hear that women who smoke are at a much greater risk of early onset and death from from cancer. Um, And the American Cancer Society was the first group to say, so knowing that alcohol bumps the risk for multiple cancer, smoking the same thing, and obesity, we want women to be mindful that maximum one drink per day or one serving of alcohol. And people think beer... A brewski, a bunch of brewskies is, no, hard alcohol is not more evil. It's one 12 ounce can of beer, five ounces of wine, or 1.5 ounces of hard alcohol. They're, They're all equal. Beer is not kinder than, Right.
7: Absolutely. And, and, and that's, that's a myth that a lot of patients have, that it's only beer, but it, it's exactly as you said. It, uh, the amount of alcohol and the type of alcohol matter, and it's that you know, more than one drink a day, whether it's a, a shot of hard alcohol, a glass of wine, five, six ounces, or 12-ounce beer, same amount of alcohol and same potentially deleterious effects, especially in excess. So the key message is moderation.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And so the recommendation is maximum one serving per day for women and two servings a day for men. That doesn't mean you have to have one a day if you're a woman or two, and it doesn't mean you drink all 14 on Friday night if you're a man, but the key to success is moderation here. Um, And so the pandemic, I read a statistic some years ago, I guess last year that uh, from March when we had the first lockdown, March of 2020 through June, just in that short time alone, 18,000 cases of colorectal cancer were missed or delayed. Let's talk about that for... A couple minutes.
7: Yeah, there's there's data from uh, the Epic Health Research Network and also from um, um, Ameri- uh, AMSurge, which owns a, a, a lot of uh, ambulatory surgery centers around the country. About one in 20 colonoscopies happens there. But they saw a significant rise in the number and stage of colon cancer from from basically the pandemic. And it was felt that, you know, overall, at least in the U.S., about two and a half months or three months of scope time was missed. Mm-hmm. And then people, even when when things reopened, people delayed coming in because they were fearful of COVID-19. So we're seeing a huge bump in the number and stage of colon cancer and other cancers like breast cancer. So the, the good news is people are coming back and getting their getting their screening. But but that, that delay is very concerning. And, and uh, I've, we've seen it in our own practice where patients delayed coming in or ignored symptoms. And unfortunately, we had to diagnose them with cancer that ended up being a later stage and harder to treat. Um, so hopefully, we're, we're through the pandemic, knock on wood. And, and now with our vaccine, vaccinations and treatments. uh, uh, People have access to the preventative care. We always say that the best test is the one that gets done, although we favor colonoscopy. If colonoscopy is not right, that's fine. Go go for a stool-based test, um, but then follow up on it if if that's positive. Um, I think you were going to ask me about resources. I'll just jump the gun, and, and uh, I'm, I'm obviously a little bit biased for the American College of Gastroenterology, and our website is gi.org, but if you go to gi.org forward slash colon cancer, there's a lot of great information that's designed for um, uh, the general public and, and as, well, as well as helping you find a gastroenterologist in your area you know, that, that is a member of the college and, and, and is well qualified to uh, do colon cancer screening.
4: That's great advice, Samir. So, to repeat, the website is from our American College of Gastroenterology, and you're the president, GI.org. Great information about risks and all, all the information you'd want to know about colorectal cancer, and maybe direct you to a GI doctor near you. So, that's very helpful, GI.org. Let's take a little break, and we'll be right back for our wrap up.
0: Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross.
1: Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no copays pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision and hearing benefits with no copays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating. Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com/star
2: Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement.
3: Now, your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems.
4: And in our final segment of Your Radio Doctor, we're so fortunate to have Dr. Samir Shah, president of the American College of Gastroenterology. We call this wrap-up segment Your Weekly Prescription, brought to you by Genentech. Samir, thank you for all your great points, and and people are learning so much from you and Dr. Jane Sharp today. Let's review some of the points that we discussed. Colorectal cancer, equal in men and women?
7: Yes. So it doesn't discriminate. So you, whether you're a man or a woman, you should get screened. Screening starts now at age 45. So 45 is the new 50. And uh, um, in terms of numbers, 1 in 25, lifetime risk for women of colon cancer, 1 in 23 for men. So very similar. Um, we don't want to wait for symptoms. So that's why screening is so important. And we know the natural history of colon cancer, as you mentioned earlier, that all colon cancer starts out as a benign polyp. And And then that polyp can grow and turn into cancer. So it's important to find the polyp. And the best way to do that, the one test that finds the polyp and removes it is colonoscopy. There are other tests that that are uh, out there. And and you should choose the best test for you. But colonoscopy is our most powerful tool that way. Other tests include stool-based tests that detect either blood or DNA or both. And if those are positive, then you have to follow up with the colonoscopy. So uh, again, it's the one cancer that's so preventable uh, because we understand the the history and it takes so long for a polyp to grow and turn to cancer. So every time we see somebody with colon cancer, we think, oh, we could have prevented this if they had come for screening.
4: Mm -hmm. And I think we all want to look back and say, whatever takes you in the end, at least I will have tried and used those tools that were available and safe and, and helped prolong my life. So screening, again, means in a person who doesn't have symptoms. So if we say everyone should start screening at age 45, but you have symptoms when you're 43, don't say, okay, I'm now 45. It's probably just a hemorrhoid. I'll wait two years. No, symptoms mean not normal. It's not normal for a healthy young person to have rectal bleeding or change in bowel habits. And maybe we can explain it away because, okay, you have a little reflux and you're taking And and acid with magnesium, and it makes you evacuate more often. We still have to check. You still need to check with your doctor. Don't be your own doctor. Don't be Dr. Google. (laughs) And and the stool test you mentioned, too. People need to know, as we all say, the best test is the one that gets done. But if you have a stool test that looks for hidden blood, understand that looks for cancer, not polyps, because most polyps don't bleed. And you have to have it pretty often, right? Once a year.
7: Yeah. Once a year for the fit testing, every three years for the, the guard test that gets advertised. And then remember it's, it's pretty good at finding cancer if it's there, but who wants to wait for a cancer? Exactly. And it's not very good at finding polyps. And so even the stool DNA plus mm. the fit test that's done is only about 40% accurate at finding polyps. And we find polyps, as you say, about 50% of the time we yes. do the colonoscopies. And so I made my, my wife go for her colonoscopy. Yes. I went for my colonoscopy. Um, and, uh, um, you know, uh, it, it, it's uh, uh, so reassuring when you've had a good colonoscopy that your risk of colon cancer goes way down. Unfortunately, it's not down to zero yet, but it comes close to that.
4: Yeah. And the other thing, the, the DNA test for stool, so people think, ooh, Star Worry, that's definitely more accurate. Not so much. Because it's expensive. It's about $649.30, sort of, kind of. And so <laughs> because of the expense, you can only have it every three years. And it misses about 8% of cancers. So, if you have a cancer that's sitting there and we miss it today, it has three years to make, uh, to build shopping malls and condos before we look again. So, if you have a negative DNA test for stool today, but you have symptoms in a month, you have to tell your doctor because we have to stay humble and, and it misses a lot of polyps. So, we want people to know. 45 for everyone, but learn your family history for colon cancer and colon polyps. Women, we want to tell them ovarian and uterine. If you have ovarian or uterine cancer, it bumps your for colon. And how about the reverse of that?
7: Yeah. So if you have uh, colon cancer, it doesn't necessarily increase the risk, but but we have to think about it, the family history and um, uh, the Lynch syndrome in, in those patients that, that, that have, have that, as, as you mentioned. And you talked about smoking and lifestyle choices that people can make to decrease their risk and increase their overall health. Um, uh, uh, again, I think that, that starting at age 45 and not ignoring symptoms is, is really the key, key messages mm-hmm.
4: uh, that, that we have. And not that it's a contest All cancer screenings are important. More people die of colorectal cancer when we combine men and women. More people die of colorectal cancer than breast cancer. So let's get people to blend the pink and the blue, pink for breast cancer awareness, blue for colorectal cancer awareness, and get her done. Um, And finally, let's try to control those things, those risk factors that, that we can. You mentioned smoking. Maximum one serving of alcohol a day for women, two for men, and obesity. Why do we think that obesity bumps the risk for multiple cancers?
7: There are several possible uh, things. It could be related to the nutritional aspects and then the changing in the microbiome. Um, and fat in and of itself seems to alter um, our, our cytokine profile and puts us in a more pro-inflammatory state, which we think increases the risk of multiple cancers, including colorectal cancer.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Samir Shah, thank you so much. We have our national meeting later in October, and we'll have to meet for a cup of coffee.
7: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and putting a spotlight on uh, this important issue that, that affects everyone, and, and hopefully more women will get screened as a result of your radio show and will prevent more cancers.
4: That's our goal. Thank you. For your real champion, I call this segment Forgiveness is Next to Godliness. News coverage of the invasion in Ukraine has brought us to tears. The haunting images of innocent people being attacked, pillaged, and driven from their homes were almost too much to bear. Women and children leaving their husbands, fathers, and brothers behind in war torn streets while they hid in train stations or struggled to escape from their homeland. Depictions of war are always horrifying. But for Americans and others watching from the outside, these scenes of devastation seemed to hit an especially sensitive nerve. The Ukrainian people were being attacked, and many were crossing the border into Poland. In an eerie way, it seemed all too familiar. Was this a replay of World War II? Americans donated money, clothing, medical supplies, and equipment, hoping it would reach the suffering masses in time. But here's the story of a man who went there himself. Dr. Stephen Greenfield dedicated his life to the practice of gastroenterology in Philadelphia and retired from Jefferson about a year ago. He was respected and admired by colleagues and patients alike. As the devastation in the Ukraine mounted, Steve felt a compulsion to help those innocent people. What motivated him to join the effort? Hearing about the suffering in the Ukraine led him to recall stories from his childhood. His own father was the son of immigrants from Hungary. At the onset of World War II, our country was united against a common enemy and patriotism was at a record high. Steve's grandmother was so grateful to be an American citizen that she signed papers confirming that her son was 18 so he could be accepted into the service, even though he was only 17. Steve's father became an Air Force pilot and was shot down near Berlin, where he spent a year in a POW camp. He was wearing a Star of David, which did not win him favor in a German camp. He served in the war effort proudly and taught his son Steve to have the same love of country. As a young boy, Steve often wondered how the Holocaust could have ever happened. Why didn't anyone try to stop Hitler? Well, Steve wasn't alive at the time, so he couldn't have helped. But now he felt a moral imperative to join this relief effort. He was planning to go to Poland to comfort the refugees coming from the Ukraine. As a student of the Talmud, he remembered the words, He who saves one life saves the entire world. He collected small stuffed animals and dolls, which he shipped to the Poland-Ukrainian border, hoping each toy might be a source of comfort to a frightened child. Then he found a way to have a much bigger influence by using his skills and experience as a physician. He flew to Poland and traveled to the border where he joined a team from Natan Worldwide Disaster Relief, an Israeli-based, all-volunteer, non-government organization dedicated to helping people all over the world rebuild their lives with dignity following natural and man-made disasters like floods, earthquake, droughts, famine, even war. Steve joined an organized medical team that included nurses, a psychologist, a dentist, social workers, and other doctors. He was prepared to work with a battlefield mentality in a relief operation, not knowing what to expect. With very basic living conditions, the team members worked in shifts from early morning to midnight, averaging scores of patients in the clinic each day. He used his cell phone to translate Ukrainian, Polish, Hebrew, and Russian, Local translators were also indispensable. The work of this integrated collaborative approach was remarkable in helping people in the medical clinic of the refugee center. Patients of all ages, including elderly, who may have walked five to 10 days to get to the border and had missed their medications for hypertension, diabetes, asthma. Some were sent by ambulance to a hospital for surgery. Babies needed to be delivered. Others just cuts and bruises. Many had PTSD, and several had TB, HIV, and COVID and were missing their meds. Only about 35% of patients were vaccinated against COVID. In fact, by day four, Steve contracted COVID and had to isolate for another five days. After a lifetime of providing medical care, this 72-year-old man was now risking his own health and safety. Ironically, he was serving in a part of the world where Jewish people were once rounded up and sent to camps. But Steve chose to be a good role model for his own children, reminding them that forgiveness is next to godliness, and if we are a just people, we should take care of those innocent people being targeted by an oppressor. After his weeks of service, Steve brought his son for a meaningful trip to Auschwitz and what was once the Jewish Quarter in Krakow, Poland, so his son would never forget. We salute you, Dr. Steve Greenfield, your real champion. Thank you for listening each week to your radio doctor. Listen again to the show on odyssey.com. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. A special thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Rothman Orthopedic Institute and Genentech. Remember, find something to smile about every day. Congratulations to my dear sweet husband who made it through big surgery this week. Now that's something to smile about. Keep going one step at a time. We're so proud of you, Stewie, and we love you. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love, and always here to remind you that your health is your wealth.
0: Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit YourRadioDoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded.
1: I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no copays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star.
2: Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement.